0: This is the True North Collective podcast, a gathering of unsugarcoated conversations on authenticity created by the real life documentation of everyday humans fearlessly finding their true north.
1: Welcome to season three of the
0: podcast. Hi, I'm Rachel. I have a bad case of the Straff vibes. I'm currently exclusively wearing long biker shorts, beanies, and Tevas. And I watched a live online Future Islands concert last night and it was incredible.
2: Hey, I'm Jordan. I was a break dancer uh, for 10 years, I have swam in the South China Sea, and in fourth grade, I was stung by 53 bees.
1: Hi, I'm Janelle. Haunted house movies are my favorite. I'm about to launch the pilot for my YouTube series and live in Maine for a month. And we are your host of the True North Collective podcast. Okay, how did you know that it
0: was 53 bees? (laughs) <laughs>
2: uh, that was the amount of stingers that they were able to find so yeah well, we'll into that one. that's a that's a, a fun story so
0: I mean that's like some uh what movie was that with Macaulay Culkin um uh, My Girl My Girl oh yes. my gosh heart
2: yeah and it's funny because I was around the same age when that movie came out no way yeah
3: <laughs> wait as a non-movie
0: watcher what happened Macaulay, no, no, that is just, just yeah. like, are you kidding we me? We can't right even now? tell you, you. have to go. No, you need to go immediately. <laughs> rent it. It is unacceptable. Fud. I
3: don't know no movie references. <laughs> so out of the club.
0: You have to go watch that movie and and buy a large box of tissues as well. Man. <laughs> um. um Okay. What made you, how did you swim in the South China Sea? How did that happen? Uh,
2: Well, the South China Sea is, um, so there's a town in the Philippines called Batangas uh, and it's on the South China Sea. And what's, what's cool about the area in Batangas is you can literally, you can walk out for almost a mile and it doesn't even get past like your, you know, almost your chest. Like that's how shallow it is. So you can see a lot of sea life, you know, as you're kind of walking through. It's really, really cool.
0: What was the craziest sea life that you saw when you were walking?
2: Through? Um, Nothing real crazy. Just kind of like sea turtles, I think was great. The but they're, they're still really cool looking, you know?
1: Yeah. yeah. Do they bite?
2: Um, they didn't bite me. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, though. I've only ended to spend a whole lot of time with them. So. <laughs> uh,
0: That's wild.
3: That is really cool. So I have to tell you, my original one of my original facts was I'm a sucker for guy with backwards hats. And then I was like, I feel like that's weird because Jordan, and you wore backwards hat today, so I had to change
2: it. You had to change that one up.
3: Yeah, I did. I was like, well, this is weird.
0: That's hilarious. That's funny. Hello, Mendoza. I was
3: like, hmm, this seems oddly
0: inappropriate now. <laughs> oh,
3: man. Yes, I had
0: to switch that up last minute. but oh, man. What got you into breakdancing?
2: The movie Beat Street. I don't know if you've, mm. you've you've seen it. Yeah. Right. So so it was Beat Street, uh, Break-In One, Breakin' Two, Electric mm. Boogaloo. So I I remember watching those movies, and naturally I just wanted to do what they did. So mm. I would watch it, like watch a scene, and then I would practice that. Then I would watch rewatch it, and then I would practice. And so I did that, and this was all around the time that I actually moved from one part of town to another. So I was like the new kid in eighth grade. And so, I mean, what better way to introduce myself to this new school at the school dance? And so I like, I started doing up rocks, which is kind of like what you do before you do groundwork and everybody started moving back. And it was like, it was like the movie I like the circle was creating. And so I just started busting out all the stuff I watched on TV. And then when I got up, it was like quiet. And then everyone was like, like, they kind of went nuts. And then I had five oh, cool, new wow. friends. So I was like, wow, this is, <laughs> this is how you do it. I guess this is how you get friends at a new school, you know?
0: That's, That's really amazing. Cool.
2: And then and then some learned... of those friends turned out to be part of our crew, you know, like
0: yeah, yeah, later yeah. on.
2: So it's kind of cool.
0: I was a dancer forever. And uh, when I graduated from college and moved to Minneapolis, I hadn't, I had gotten a minor in dance, but I was kind of like in a weird place in my life where I was trying to figure out my relationship to dance. Cause I couldn't do the same things that I used to be able to do. I was a classically trained and then I found hip hop and B-boy, B-girl, you know, whacking all of it. And I just like, it was so fun. So yeah, I love that.
2: Yeah. I, I just love that, you know, be, being able to be creative and just, freestyle everything and you know because I think later when I when the choreography stuff started getting popular I, like I tried some of it and I couldn't do it because mm. I was so used to just making things up on the fly you know
0: yeah do you still dance
2: yeah I mean I still do some I will post you know a break dancing video on TikTok every now and then, or it's funny, I've actually posted some on LinkedIn and, it, and it's have gotten like 17,000 views. Like the engagement was, was insane. And I'm like, they're like, you need to keep posting. These. I'm like, Oh yeah, don't worry. I'll do it next week. And then of course I don't, <laughs> I don't post it. But uh, my three-year-old actually is, you know, I've, I've been trying for years to get my almost 16 year old to like teach him. Like I want to pass this craft down to one of my kids. And so he's not interested hasn't been but my three-year-old is and so like he's now like copying and doing some of the things and I'm like man I could you know this kid's three and that's one of his strengths I could teach him this and by 10 you know he's he'd probably be pro you know so
3: that's cool do you have a favorite move
1: that you did in break dancing
2: yeah so my nickname was spin so like anything spinning related so i do head spins shoulder spins back spins windmills crickets flares you know anything that had to do with spinning like that was that was my thing so
0: Okay, we need a video so we can post it. And that's what I was just about to say. I We're was gonna like,
2: all so do moves. <laughs>
0: on the gram, um, I would like a head
3: spinning video to introduce you to the world.
2: <laughs> I haven't done a head spin since probably like you know, early 2000s, so I don't know yeah. if that's gonna be happening.
0: Fair. All right, I'll take a different spin, but or we can just pull it back.
2: <laughs> there we go. I'll, I'll do the like
0: video. the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle back spin.
2: That's an yeah. <laughs> that's a classic. That's a classic. I don't, you
3: know i'm going to have to youtube something things i'm going to work on it when i was in college i did pageants and you had have to have a talent and i ended up singing but in my mind i wanted to be like i'm going to go out there and break dance and just like blow everyone's mind you know the girls are playing the flute the piano i come out and i'm like let's break dance
0: <laughs>
3: but i never actually followed
0: through on that do <laughs> you like going to weddings then? like for your friends
2: is that fun for you uh not really no i'm not a big fan of like dressing up you know like ah. i don't you know so like daddy daughter dance like i'm in a suit you know you gotta that's what you gotta do That's like the dad thing right um weddings yeah I probably have to wear some funerals so and then maybe like a corporate awards thing but like at other than that this is how i'm dressed like all you know how i'm dressed all the time um because uh I just don't like I don't like dressing up, you know? Yeah,
0: I'm the same actually. But I the reason I ask is everybody always wants me to be they're like, I'm gonna invite you to the wedding so that you can start the dance party and then I'm like, Oh, all right. Oh but because I'm cool and you want me to be there too. <laughs> you wanna
2: use me as a prop? Come on. <laughs> yeah. I got more to offer than my dancing skills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs>
3: Shall we introduce Jordan?
1: Yeah, let's do it. In the spirit of spooky season, I launched my new YouTube series called That Girl Got Ghosted. Anyone who listens to the podcast knows that I'm a big fan of haunted hotels, historic places, ghost stories. And in my newfound unemployment, I'm taking the time to have a fun side creative endeavor where I go to haunted hotels and record my experience. The pilot is at the famous Stanley Hotel from The Shining, and if you'd like to watch it, we'll link in the show notes to the YouTube video where you can see some of the creepy photos we captured, as well as an orb, or maybe it's a bug, depending on who you ask, in one of the numerous haunted hotel rooms within the historic Stanley Hotel in Colorado. I'd love to have you all check it out. And now let's introduce Jordan.
3: So Jordan, you're a father of five, is that
2: correct? I am a fa- I'm a father of five.
3: Father yeah. of five, training and development professional for impulse consulting and the creator and host of blaze your own trail podcast, which Rachel and I were really honored to be on a couple weeks ago. And we're excited to be able to flip the script then today and have you on the true North collective podcast to come share your story. So welcome.
2: Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here.
3: Excited. So today we're going to talk a little bit about your life experiences, how you live your true north, and we like to just kickstart the conversation. We've we've already been talking about it a little bit, but in a short summary, like how did you get to where you are today?
2: Yeah, I mean, well, I think it all started back when I was when I was a kid. I've I've always had the ability to have conversations with other humans, you know, like face-to-face paying attention to eye contact and body language. And this, this really happened where I grew up in, because we, we were really poor. So I, I wasn't like, I could ask my mom for money and she'd be like, Oh, here. Here's some money. Go to the, go buy some candy at the store. Right. So I actually would go knock on people's doors, like go door to door and collect candy. Cans because in Oregon you could get five cents per can. I was like, get yeah, five of these, I've got I've got twenty five cents. I can go get some candy, you know. So I think that started being able to communicate with people at an early age. And I remember as I started playing sports, I enjoyed selling the candy bars and the beef jerky more than I did I enjoyed playing baseball, you know, <laughs> because I I so enjoyed being able to to communicate with people and in that kind of art, the gift of gab, being able to have conversations and. Um, and so I, that's really kind of where my career started. So I got my first job at 14, uh, and I went door to door signing people up for the newspaper. Um, you know, there are might be some listeners that have never read one of those. Right, this was back in 1995, and I remember my first day on the job. I went out and I must have knocked on over a hundred doors, and every single person told me no. Everyone, and I'm a kid. Like you can't tell a kid no every time. Like that's that sucks right so i was all in my feelings i remember the end of the day i was sitting on the curb my brother was with me our buddy steve from down the street they're like high-fiving because they got sales and i'm sitting there like all in my feelings right and and so we go to settle up and i never forget the guy's name his name was jim franks he was our he was the guy that drove us around and brought us to burger king and dropped us off to try to basically we're doing his job i think is what we were really doing when i look back at it but he said to me he's like listen I know you had a tough day out there, but I want you to understand this. Maybe not today, but maybe someday down the road. He said, the sale doesn't start until the customer says no. And I said, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And I've walked away, you know, because I, d- I didn't want to hear it. Of course, I'm a kid like, I just heard a hundred people tell me no. And I don't know if you've ever done sales before or cold calling, but what happens when you hear no a lot? I mean, it compounds and then you go from smiling to kind of a partial smile to a fake smile to a frown. Right. And so that compounds over time. And, um, but I learned, I learned that lesson. I learned that, you know, sometimes I've got to do something creatively to break the ice so that that so they're not going to tell me no right away. Right. I've got to get creative. And so that that really helped me. And I did go back for day two and I ended up being really good and selling a ton. And and uh, and that really helped propel my, you know, my journey into to knowing, having a self-awareness of what I was good at. And I think that's really helped me a lot.
0: I know you have more to share about yourself and it's. Yep. It's pretty, well, first of all, you have a really inviting personality. So I can totally understand why you, all of those things fit for you at an early age. And I love the play with the no. I, I do agree the no can come with so much like rejection and self-worth and da 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 da, da. Um, And when it's not, when you allow it to like, when you allow yourself to play with it a little bit more so that it's more of like an invitation to like, I don't know, dance with or something instead Mm -hmm. of just a wall, a definitive, that's a really interesting, That even beyond sales. Like that's just an interesting way to approach life.
2: Yeah, no, no, it really is. And, And if you look at NO as an acronym, you could look at it like next opportunity. Right. Does, no, doesn't mean no. It means next opportunity. So what I found myself doing is I actually tried to find the no's. Right, I, sh- I changed my mindset. Instead of looking for yeses, I would actually look for the no's because every no is closer to the next yes. Right, and so if you can, if you can, you know, consciously make that shift to knowing that. If if I talk to a hundred people, I know the law of averages says that probably one out of 10 of those people are going to say yes. So I don't need to go and look for everybody to say yes. I just know if I put in the work, if I put, put in the effort that they're going to come eventually.
3: Like and, and no is like a filter. It, it's such a good, yep. I've used that in my life because I'm very much do not like rejection. And I've been playing with it for a long time um, on how I can be more comfortable. And yeah, reminding it like this wasn't, yeah, it gets you closer to a yes, like you said, and or it gets you closer to the right person in dating or it gets you closer to the right job when you're job searching or whatever it may be, so taking it as a a good filter. Or you going to say
0: rich? Um, oh, I was going to say was Frank was Fr- I think Frank was the person who gave you that Jim Franks. Jim Franks. Um, do you think that was like the spawn of that for you or were you always somebody who kind of I don't know. To me, it's like you saw a wall and we're like, oh, it's a wall. What can I do with that wall?
2: (laughs) You know, you know, you know, I think about that a lot because it later on it came full circle because I ended up being a sales trainer for an outside sales company. And I had one of the guys I was training was went out in the field. And when he came back, he looked exactly like me at 14. Like he had that look on his face, his shoulders were down. He was down in the dumps. And I remember saying to him, I said, hey, what happened out there? He's like, I guess nobody buys this thing. The same excuses that I made, like nobody buys the newspaper, nobody does this. And I said, hey, listen, you may not understand this today, but hopefully down the road you'll get this. But the sale doesn't start until the customer says no. And so this is like four years later, it literally came back full circle when I understood it, right? When I, when I understood it. So yeah, I think him... Telling that to me, uh, I think it gave me encouragement to come back for day two, right? And so that going back for day two, and then and then seeing the wins, right? Actually putting that into context, and then getting victory, I think yeah, that that really helped in my sales journey because I've had, I mean, I've done telemarketing, I've sold windows, I mean, I've I've done everything you can probably think of when it comes to sales, and I've always been good at I think all of them because I think when you can communicate effectively, when you can read, read, you know, relate to people, you know, make people comfortable in conversation. I think in sales, you, you can sell anything, you know? Um, Cause really sales is you know, 90% is they're buying into you. Right. And so if you believe in the product and service and you can get them to believe in you, then that's when, that's when the transaction will happen. But if if it's really about, um, in my experience, 25 years doing this, it's about building relationships, right? It's about building a rapport. If you can do that, then uh, it's everything else is easy.
0: Yeah, it is true. I, sales get such a such a bad rep and like, it is the ability to build relationships. I, I have a friend of mine who worked for Boston Beer for a long time and now works for PepsiCo and she's brilliant. She's absolutely brilliant. You can drop her in any situation and she... Will be it's not even like she will be best friends like people will just trust her in like very short amount of time and she'll like be getting she'll be like here i got this free thing and i got this and we're like what (laughs) it is it's a really it's a cool thing to watch it's a cool thing to be around and it's a good reminder that um everything kind of you know you can still go into the slimy side everything can still be slimy and at its heart when it's at its best it's about relationship building. Yeah. Yeah. Have you carried any of
3: those lessons from your sales experience into some of the relationships that are closest to you in your life?
2: Um yeah, I mean I I, I am you know, if you look at emotional intelligence, right? You've got four buckets of EQ, right? Starts with self-awareness, being aware of how you show up, and then it jumps into being able to manage your emotions. And then, you know, how do you handle these in in social settings and then with relationships? And it was very funny. So the first time I took the EQ assessment, it said that one of my lower areas was relationship management. And I'm a person that, Uh, I'm still friends with people from elementary school, from middle school, from high school, I keep the relationship strong. And so I was, I was in my feeling, I was like, there's no way I scored this on this, like, what is happening here? And the instructor, she's like, tell me about uh, how you manage your relationships. And I told her the same things I just told you. And she said, you probably did that to yourself because it comes natural to you. Right. It's 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 not it's like effortless for you to do this and you do this doesn't matter if it's the bus driver or the or, you know, somebody that you just met or your future boss, like you just have this ability to do that naturally. So you don't credit yourself for it. Right. So when I took the assessment, I didn't value that because I just do it. I just do it, you know, And, and I was like, okay. And she's like, so yeah, don't worry about that because you already know it's, you already know it's hot. You already know that it is a strength. So just focus on these other areas that may be lower and then, you know, you can build those EQ muscles up. So, um, so I think, yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with emotional intelligence. I think I've been aware, you know, I've had, I think I've been through uh, a lot of different experiences that have uh, really forced me into being more self-aware. You know, when I think when you're when you raised in, you know, poverty, like food stamps, welfare, you know, like when you're raised in that type of environment where, you know, you you really can build a scarcity mindset, um, I think that it it actually gives you strength, right? The the adversity that you face gives you strength and can heighten your your EQ, right? So my mom, you know, she was born with one lung. I think I shared a little bit of the story with you guys. And so You know, um, something I found out after she passed away, and this will really, um, this really put some light on why I don't even feel like I've really faced adversity, and we haven't even touched some of the other stories that we'll we'll get into today. But so after she passed away, my second cousin, I was meeting, and we were kind of looking through pictures and paperwork, and and she said, "Hey, I, I don't know if your mom ever like shared this with you, but your grandma Frances was raped in 1957." And your mom was born in January of 1958. And I'm like, holy crap. Like that adds another piece of the puzzle. So here, you know, my grandmother is raped. My mom was born with one lung. And in the 50s, when you're born with one lung, it's basically like, well, you're definitely not going to live past 18. Not going to be able to have any kids. And so she was essentially dealt this uh, not very exciting hand, you know, but she actually grew up and she never used those ailments that she had this you know having to use oxygen and things like that she never used it as a crutch she was always positive when I was growing up she figured out ways to make sure that we didn't have without whether that's filling out an application to get something for free or or reduced or going to play bingo to try to win a blackout so she could buy us school supplies or going to the dog races you know I spent a lot of time at at those places because she was Trying to make sure that we at least felt comfortable, but also uh, she showed us how to love. She showed us how to be kind and be empathetic to people. So, those are like, she was able to do all of that. And most people would say, How is that possible? Right? Because, like, if if I was born one line, I'd be like, This sucks. Like, (laughs) you know, like she could have looked through a different lens, but, and I'm still trying to figure out to this day, like, how was she able to stay so positive? you know, but that example was, was huge for me to see, right. Somebody that died, almost died a few times when, when I was younger, you know, and, and, you know, I have a stepdad who was an alcoholic. So this, that wasn't very exciting because, you know, he got a bunch of DUIs and uh, one time he threw a can and it hit her and cut her and he got arrested, you know, I mean, there was, there was all kinds of, of drama and, and things like that, that, uh, that we had to experience. And this is me and, uh, three other brothers. I've got a total of uh, four brothers on from my mom's side, and you know, so we all kind of grew up in that situation and moved, you know, fourteen times from birth to fourteen. And and I'm assuming it's because of the the financial situations. I don't I don't really know, but um, it's funny when you think back to those things too. Like I move, I have moved a lot in my adult life, and I think it's because I'm comfortable with with that type of change. Right. Um, I was comfortable. I was like, Oh, this is just a, this is kind of a, a normal thing, you know? Um, So one of these moves, uh, one of these moves actually brought us to a whole other two towns over. And so uh, this is in seventh grade and, and I had to take two public buses to get to school. Um, And so my mom did the, did the route with us, you know, with me. And uh, my first stop to get off was at a Seven Eleven, And, you know, I met the lady that worked there named Rosa. And um, my mom always made sure I had money to play Mortal Kombat, you know, before the bus came. And so I would literally go there. I would stop. I'd wait a half hour. I'd play my, my game. And um, one day on the way to school, I was on my stop. I walked in, I said hi to Rosa. I put my quarters in the machine and playing Mortal Kombat. And, a male voice behind me uh, like there, I heard the chimes of the door when they walked in and then a male voice behind me said, Hey, Daniel, and I'm not Daniel. So I didn't respond. I just keep playing mortal Kombat. And then all of a sudden my body got lifted. I was thrown against a Terminator two pinball machine. And I was essentially punched several times thrown on the ground and handcuffed. And the, the lady Rosa was like, what are you doing? I know his mom, he's here every day. And they're like yelling at her, you be, you're going to get arrested too. They bring me to a cop car. I'm like, I'm not Daniel. I'm not Daniel. They're like, shut up. We know who you are. You're a runaway, you know? And they literally threw me in the back of a cop car. So my only uh, saving grace, Rachel and Janelle was, I was begging them. I said, I said, sir, my homework is in my pocket. And this was all luck because I never did my homework, but I knew it was in my pocket that day. And so, You know, he finally listened. I don't know why, but he finally listened. He reached in, he pulled out the homework. And when he saw my name, Jordan Mendoza, I mean, this man looked like he saw a ghost and he like unhandcuffs me. He calls my mom. I'm like screaming, crying in the back of this car. And she's like, we had a misunderstanding, ma'am, you know, this, this and that. And so uh you know they dropped me off at my friend's house because my mom was on the other side of town and then she ends up coming to pick me up from the school the school office you know and and so this was a you know we we talk a lot in 2020 about diversity and inclusion we we see the landscape this is 25 years ago like this this type of thing uh is something that's been happening forever and you know going through that experience like i even knew back then i was like i want they should not have a job you know like they shouldn't work uh like your job is to protect and serve. And you did neither of those things. You didn't even listen, you know, you gotta be a good listener to, to protect and serve. And so we, we did the court process and I wanted them, I just wanted them fired, you know, and I remember having to see a psychologist cause they're like, like, do you hate cops? You know, they're, and I was like, listen, I don't, I just, I know that there are bad people. I know they are bad people. They're not, it's not bad cops. It's not bad. This, it's just, some people are dealing with stuff, you know, and I wanted it to be over. And, and so it ended and they got, they got fired from, from their jobs. And, and, you know, I got to go through that experience and I get to share that story with other people. And because, I mean, I was profiled. I mean, I'm I'm not even Hispanic, like we've, we've talked about, but, you know, I mean, that's, that's, those are the types of things that are happening and, and they're continuing to happen even 25 years later thing I just first of all
0: I just damn I I can't even imagine I can't even imagine um what what from that has um I mean that was 25 years ago and now obviously like what is it like to have known and experienced that and now to have things be like awakening on a broader like with more people what is that what is that like to be like yeah duh. yeah
2: i mean i mean you know I, I think for me because i've always looked at it like something that i could help other people through you know like this is a story that that i can that i can share especially like for specific diversity inclusion speeches or, you know, topics and things like that, because um, it can really happen to, to, to anybody. Right. I mean, you you flip flop it and it's a Hispanic cop and a Caucasian, you know, like, I mean, I think it can, it can go either way, but um, I just think that, um, you know, it's, we've got to do a better job at screening people. You know, like you've got to do a deeper dive, you know, we, we can't, I think as a uh, a country put ourselves in a position where it's like well I guess they'll do you know what I'm saying like I think there's yeah. got to be more enforcement in uh psychological assessments because um today happens to be National Mental Health Day and it's a it's a real thing right I think even the healthiest of people have probably gone through thoughts that they normally haven't had when they've gone through an experience, right? I think Mm -hmm. everybody has dealt with a resemblance of that. I know when my mom died, like I had, I have six months, I can't even remember, like to, because I was going through the motions and I didn't even know that that's what it was until like, you know, I was out of it, right? Because you're kind of in this Cobweb situation and and fog i mean i i got a, I got demoted because my performance was down well, why the heck do you think my performance you know so like i think um from a corporate scale from a, a national scale i i think there's there has to be conversations you know yeah. we've got to do a better job at um at having real conversation, like deep conversations with people, to try to uh, figure out, like, is this, is this the right candidate? Can can they perform, especially when when dealt with uh, crazy situations that are out there? You know, because that's the thing. You know, when when, you know, and kudos to everybody that that wants to put on that uniform because it's not an easy it's not an easy job. You don't know what you're going to get. You're rolling dice every single day. So I see how the environment and things like that can impact people but we've got to make sure that the people that are in those roles can sustain the impact you know i think that's what
3: are we doing to take care of them and make sure that because i'm i mean i'm obviously not a cop but i'm sure there's smaller traumas sometimes bigger traumas that they're seeing all the time and like are they be Given the space to recoup from that, and is there an understanding, or is it just like, hey, we need you out there, get back out there? Um, because I I think in you that realm is more in the extreme end, but to your point, like I've worked at jobs too where things are going down and in the world in my life, like big things, and also had conversations where it's like, well, your performance is down, and no one's like, hey. And I shouldn't how say no, you? I've also, yeah, uh, I mean, exactly. I, think that's,
2: it's like, <laughs> I mean, it's very simple. How, yeah. how are you? they are like, exactly. really, how are you? Like, is every, how's your family? How's your sister? Uh-huh. How are you feeling? Like we've got to ask, I think more questions. Exactly. Right? And it's I've helpful. had managers that are amazing that have
3: done that. And then I've also had managers that are like, well, your performance is down and then they can't get out. And I know there's like a fine line with HR and how things work, but I don't know if it's really been that fine um where like all they focus on is the job and it's like what about that I'm like I'm de- I'm actually just straight up depressed over here you know like there's shit going down in my life right now that I'm like incapable of of working and it's there aren't oh al- there isn't always space for those conversations and like I've had it yeah. too where I've basically when I'm already down and in a really bad place in my personal life had an employer basically kick me down, <laughs> you know, kick me while I was down and just tell me I was doing a shit job. And I'm like, I know, and I'm trying the best I can. But yeah, there's no curiosity there. It's just basically, you know, getting getting kicked while you're still down, which I think is it's unfortunate. And I hope that starts to change. And I've also worked for amazing employers. I talked on here, I worked at um, a tech company called MindBody and had a really great manager who I think, and we were in HR and he did such a great job always of just being like, Hey, no pressure to share anything with me, but I'm here as a human, you know, to help you if you need anything seriously, whether it's work related or not. And like, I just think there's, I've seen the beauty, well, the beauty on one side and, you know, maybe some of the the more challenging aspects on another, but I hope people in management and in, in corporations and in, you know, the police force, we start to navigate in a different, a different space in a different way than we have historically.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I, and it's crazy because I think about like, what if I was a few shades darker? Like, would I be alive? You know what I'm saying? It, it's, it's, it's terrible to have to, to think like that. Or what if, what if I would have, you know, re reacted a certain, you know what I'm saying? Like reacted and tried to Run because of instinct, fight or flight. You know, took over, and then I you know, something worse could have happened. You know, so there's a lot of the, a lot of those things. I think uh, if you I think about in hindsight, and I'm like, well, you know, I was. I think everything that we experience, we're gone through it for a reason. You know, like it, it. It's much as it sucks to go through things like that. Um, we're able to use that to share with other people to hopefully inspire them to. Um, think about it differently, right? Think about it. Look at it through a different lens, and you know, like put yourself into that person's shoes and their, and and look at it from a different perspective overall. Yeah.
0: What came up as you were talking too is like, you know, we're we're talking about. Obvi- you know, obviously, when you are in law enforcement and you're there to protect people, there's kind of a level <laughs> level of responsibility that really you know needs to be a bar but that also goes beyond that and it's like as a parent as a friend as a as an employer as a coworker as an employee um you know it it can still be dangerous for for people to not have a level a level of self-awareness um to navigate stuff comes up constantly and like from a micro to a macro standpoint and um, and as as I was listening to you, Janelle, speak about your uh, managers and the ones who, you know, didn't have the capacity to have the space or whatever. I mean, to me, that's because they didn't have the capacity to have that space for themselves. And so, like, where? And so then it's like, okay, so where in this whole cog, you know, are we recognizing where there can be? Uh, an opening to be able to start normalizing, you know, beyond just, you know, mental health day, I think it's got to be integrated into into our conversations into into the things that are just as important as learning how to long divide, you know, and I've been in conversation with a friend of mine who works for some school systems in St. Louis, um some charter schools and there's something called SEL she was telling me about and it's about um social emotional like, I i do not know I'll put it in the show notes but I'm very curious because it is there there are more people trying to figure out like how do we make this a part of the every day um so that even if the manager is like I can't hold the space for this but I know space needs to be held or like what are the resources I mean Janelle and I have as we as we have been becoming friends over the last few years are learning about each other's triggers. And we just had a conversation yesterday where to, to say like, how, when I need you as a friend, but you can't be there for me, what do we do then if I don't feel like I have anyone? And so we were able to get to a place where she said, what if I could tell you the percentage that I'm at? Like I'm at 25% right now. And then that gives me personal responsibility to say, okay, I can do something with 25%. And I can recognize that at 25%, she might not be able to show up fully. And so it's like, it puts us both in the same space. But it's taken a while for me to be able to still be processing the traumas that I've experienced. And man, yeah, I don't I don't really have an answer. I'm just kind of rambling a little bit. But
3: I and I'm like processing everything. We <laughs> just like woo woo out there, um, which I love. Yeah, it is. It is an interesting space, and I think I I do have optimism. I almost said hope, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> I do have optimism um, that I think we're working towards that as a society. Like we're we're getting there. We're moving the needle, but it is. Um, I do hope that we're continuing, Rachel, as you mentioned, to like take care of ourselves and do the work that we need to do um, so that we can show up for other people when we need to, or at least to have that compassion or, or understanding. And I had mentioned the manager and it is, it's like, it's modeling too. Like I'm sure that person has never worked for a company where someone showed them compassion towards their personal life. So it's like, if they've never seen it done, then, you know, maybe some people have the emotional intelligence and awareness to be able to pivot and, and pick it up. And, and some people might just not have experienced it yet. And that's something that maybe they'll learn, maybe they won't, but, um, I do hope that the needle is starting to move and change. And, and I've also been that manager too. I think I see it from the standpoint when I was in my you know younger twenties and managing people, I hadn't seen it done that way. And so I didn't do it that way either. You know, so I, I can also have that, that understanding and empathy towards being that manager that didn't know what to do with people's emotions either.
0: Yeah. There, there is something to that point, you know, that's really beautiful in like acknowledging that it's not like the mistakes are part of part of it and the ability to just own it. And like, I don't know, it's, it's very easy to put on this facade that from the outside in people then are like, Oh my gosh, they're, you're just like, Holy moly, you're amazing. But to know that like you're amazing and you've also made been shitty, <laughs> like like nope. there's something really powerful in that. I actually, when I first started coaching at Lululemon and I, so the way that the coaching worked is that in order to do it, cause I was piloting this program that I created I also needed to work for the company in some capacity. Cause they're like, we're going to pilot it. We don't know if it's going to be anything. I was like, okay. So I worked at this high volume store and I was just like testing out different things of how do I bring coaching to this team of 75 and what does it look like? And as I was working the floor and then also doing coaching with people, no one really knew what that was going to be like. And there were days when I would be like not in a good mood and I was struggling or I would be crying and and needing a minute. And I was like, how are people ever going to trust me to hold a space for them now that they've seen me break, basically break down over something kind of small, you know, here or there. And uh, what ended up happening was several people came up to me and said, I just want you to know how important it was for me to see somebody that I admire so much also break down like it was so important for me to to know that that's like there isn't a standard like I actually it it gave them permission that in this moment with their foibles they still have the capacity to have mistakes live right alongside their being empowered and being powerful
1: and so yeah 2021 is just around the corner and we are prepping for season four of the true unearth collective podcast we're asking for your support if you or anyone you know would be a guest that you would like to hear on the podcast please let us know you can slide into our dms you can email us at hello at the true collective.org or text us reach out however you can get a hold of us and let us know who should be in the podcast in 2021 back to the podcast yet.
3: Jordan, I'm kind of curious with mm-hmm. your background in training and development, mm-hmm. does any of this tie into the work that you've done training other people or? Do oh you yeah, a
2: hundred percent. Yeah. So this, so I actually, I teach a six month leadership program and it's, it's predicated on uh, MBTI, the Myers-Briggs type indicator assessment. And so I had to in 2016 get certified in Myers Briggs because 2017 we were going to be uh, we were going to be the facilitators delivering this six month curriculum, and so you know the so people take the assessment prior to the first session, and it's so interesting uh, when people take the assessment because they don't get the results until like midday of the first day, and so people are like oh what am what am I going to be right so um, one of the rules if you're a certified practitioner is you have to allow people to self assess themselves right and the way that mbti works there's 16 different dichotomies you know it's either am i an extrovert or an introvert right you know and, and again this is all based on how you prefer to show up in the world right because we all do introverted things we all do extroverted things but we don't do them with equal ease can we can we agree on that right so um so it populates that, and then it's looking at are you a uh, a sensor or a feeler or are you a, a no thinker a feeler are you a sensor or an intuitive type? Are you a judger or a perceiver right and so it looks at all of these different uh these different areas and then by the end of it, people are able to come up with their Four letter type, so like my i 'm an enfp that means i 'm uh, extroverted and intuitive type i 'm a feeler, so you know I care about the impact on people and then uh, i 'm a perceiver, which means i 'm just very uh, go with the flow even keel uh, I could you know spin a wheel wherever it landed I could just go there without a, without any clothes you know I'd just I would just be good with it so um, you know when you get to take that introspective look at yourself. I mean, it's amazing what happens, right? Because we have this cohort of people, about 15 people that may not know, may may have been showing up a different way their whole life than they actually truly are. So as you can imagine, there's a lot of epiphanies that happen. And- now that they've got that baseline, we jump into strengths-based leadership. We have them take the Clifton CliftonStrengths assessment. We have them take the EQ assessment. We have them take a, a, the TKI model, which is an assessment to see what type of conflict style they have. And then we talk about coaching and feedback. So I, w- I would say that a lot of the things that you're speaking about are, are things that I, I deal with a lot. And it's very empowering, I think, what you said, Rachel, that, um, you know, b- letting people see you be vulnerable right so these stories that i'm sharing and and the the ones that i haven't shared yet that i will these are things i share with my cohort why because it creates an emotional relevance with with them between them and and with me they know that if if there's something that's really hitting them they know that they're comfortable. They're in a space where they can share that, that it's not going to leave, it's not going to leave the cohort, like everything that happens in the leader program stays in the leader program. And I think the most rewarding part of this program is I get to coach each of these 15 people, um, every month for six months. And so, yeah, I I really relate to, you know, being vulnerable with people, you know, and letting them know maybe, Hey, listen, my day, like, how's your day? Has it, been going that great? <laughs> you know, because the more open and real you can be, the better connection that you're going to have with people, you know, and if you can create that environment of trust, trust is the, in Patrick Lencioni's book, the five dysfunctions of a team, the foundation is trust. Because if you don't have trust when you're, when you're in a collective team, the other stuff is not going to work right? You have to have that just like with a house, you got to have the foundation or the house is going to be jacked up and fall over. Right. So, so yeah. So I think uh, you asked, you asked the question, does this translate to a lot of the work that I do? And it, it absolutely does.
3: That sparks so much. So Jordan, you maybe probably don't know this about me. Cause we didn't talk about it, but I was on a learning and development team um, for a tech company too. And like did a ton of different trainings. We did a lot of Stephen Covey. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the courses I taught, and train people on was the speed of trust and the the biggest thing I took away from that and it it seems so obvious but I don't know it hit me in in a way um, that I kind of was was surprised but around trust is the more interactions you have with someone generally as long as they're positive you know overall um, the more the more trust you generally have for them and so in the workplace and in your normal life too. Um, Again, it's like it's so simple, but those acts of vulnerability and sharing, like all of those, even if they seem small, or even if it's just two to three minutes, I mean, they do compile and add up and, and really do start to build that safe space that we talk about a lot on the podcast and in, you know, different wellness spaces, on just allowing people to feel comfortable because I know when I had reflected on my work work relationships specifically when I was doing that. It was the people that I interacted with every day. Generally, I had very high levels of trust. And again, that was also because there were positive interactions for the most part. Um, and then the people that I interacted with less, there was potentially more room for mistrust or just not the full, the full understanding. And I feel like I say it, and it's like so obvious. Like what's, but it, it really just hit. Um, so I share it for anyone else that maybe just hasn't thought about that. If you're trying to build trust with someone, and also. I'm an EN, ENFP as well.
0: <laughs> I mean, there we go. <laughs> I'm an ENFJ, I am pretty sure. Are oh,
2: you? Yeah? Okay. Yeah.
0: Um, I was gonna say the thing I've been playing with trust, and then I wanna get into your some of your stories, um, Jordan, just because I yeah. Um, but I've been playing with trust. Um, not only is it over time you build trust because you know, you trust the person or you have more interactions with them, but To me, I've also been playing with when I have a level of distrust with somebody or something, coming back to like, is it actually that I don't trust them? Which could be that, yes. Or, and, is it also that I don't trust who I, how and who I am when I show up in those spaces and with those people? And is that that actually the thing that is making me uncomfortable? And how would I... Need to show up or what would I need to do to have a level of trust with myself to be able to handle the situation or the person. So I've been kind of playing with that quite a bit. And so I just throw it out there.
2: That's definitely a um... A mind-jacked way to to think about right? <laughs> like, you take it, you're flipping the whole thing upside down. But no, it makes it makes a lot of sense, right? Because like I can think in my life, there's definitely people that I was when I was around them, I did some crazy stuff, you know. I was a I was a different person. So no, I could see, um, like I would have never thought of that because I feel like um I've just got this kind of like brain that it's just like a circle and that's it and I I talk to my wife all the time I'm like I feel like your brain it's got like all of these different buckets and one's Mm -hmm. dumping into the next one and dumping into the next one and I feel like mine's just one bucket and there's (laughs) nothing happening you know Uh, I don't know if that paints a picture you know because she's super analytical she's always thinking about things she's always questioning things and I'm just like and she's always knows every detail when we're in the mall like hey did you see that person I'm like I don't even, I didn't even realize we walked this far yet. You know, like I don't even know what I'm paying attention to. So I don't know if that you guys can relate to that, but.
0: <laughs> I think I'm, I think I'm definitely more like your wife. and My, my boyfriend is definitely more like you. Like he's like, hey, we, it's literally been, we've been up for one minute. Like what, how are you already like trying to figure out world peace? I'm like, I don't know. That's just what came up.
2: It's a, yeah. it's a, um, It's a J thing. You know, there, there's a cool quote. Um, and you guys will both resonate with this because one of you is a J one of you is a P, but it it says, um, with a J there's a way with a P wait and see.
0: Oh, that's totally how we are.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Makes a lot of sense. And then another one, I'll give you another MBTI quote. So if you don't know what, an um, Introvert is thinking, you haven't. No, if you don't know what an extrovert is thinking, you haven't been uh, listening, and if you don't know what an introvert is thinking, you haven't asked. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's, yeah, that's totally that's
2: very true. We use those it. in a class because it gets, you know, it gives people contact like, oh, now I can see myself, you know, can see myself leaning towards this or that, you know?
0: Well, it also gives, gets people into the space of, um, there's like a, m- a movement to it versus just a label, which is like, I am this. Okay, great. Now I'm this. Now what? But it's like, oh, you're this. And now in order to listen, I can like, these are the things I can do with it.
2: Yeah. like. And I I think also when you, when you can explain E&I from the context of energy, right? Like I, I get my energy from the internal versus the external world. Like that usually with participants, it usually clicks Then
0: Yeah.
3: Okay. I'm having a struggle with this right now though, because I think I actually get my energy from the internal world, but I always get extrovert and how I show up and the test I take, but Anyway, we could like yeah. analyze so,
2: that. <laughs> so what, if, if you have that assessment, mm-hmm. um, you can send it to me. I can look at the PCI. There's something called mm-hmm. the preference clarity index. And that will actually show us because what, what may be happening is you may be right on the cusp, right? You may Dang. be right in the middle of each, right? Because what the index is showing is when you answered the questions, how consistent were you in the answers? All right, that's what the, the preference clarity index is going to show. So like mine are like all the way, you know, like, you know, it's all the way in all of the directions and I've taken the thing, you know, cause I've had to get step two certified. So I've got two of them, but yeah, every time I've taken it, it's always been, it's always been the same.
3: That's super interesting. Cause even the, what you just said about, if you're an I like you haven't asked, I think I'm that, like I generally don't share unless people ask cause I'm like, eh, they probably don't care then. Or like, and I don't like, I don't need them to know necessarily. So that is interesting.
0: I'll have to, I'll have to send it over. <laughs> Can it change over time?
2: That's a question that I get a lot, you know, and I, I think that um, from, from stories that I've heard when I was getting certified, you know, I heard one story of a lady who lived, like, thought she was the wrong type for like 25 years, <laughs> you know, and then when she came to the epiphany, she was like, I've been essentially living the way that people told me that I was. And she like had this big, big breakthrough. So I I think that um, it can, right? Like, I think that people can, can not answer the questions in a clear mindset or headspace, or do it from the context of how they feel other people think they should respond. Does that make sense? So so because that's what I tell people is like, Think of like end of the world scenario, which one would I choose this one or this one you know when you're answering because that's you're gonna get the the real answer
3: so that is actually super interesting too we've We've done episodes on Enneagram before I'm not sure if you're familiar with that yep. um, and I'm a type three, and a large part of the type three is that you see yourself through how you think the external world wants you to be, so that could actually make sense because I think extroverts are generally celebrated. And this is just my belief, it's not right or wrong, but like in my mind, I think extroverts are celebrated more than introverts. So that, there's maybe some exploration for me to do there. Maybe I am an introvert and I just present as an extrovert because I want people to like me.
2: I'm glad we could have this session. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, I really needed (laughs) this this morning, guys. (laughs) So Um, anywho.
0: (laughs) Jordan, are you doing any of this work with younger generations, with kids?
2: So there's there's actually a lot of conversations happening around, you know, like, at what age can people take this assessment and the results be clear? Like, at what age are they thinking clearly enough to be able to answer these in a way that would spit out a, you know, concise response, if that makes sense. So um, the last I heard, and this has been a few years, but um they it was at 18 like they were you know recommending and then I think now it's like 16 like they're seeing at 16 that that age they could take the assessment and get uh, results that would you know point them in the right direction
0: yeah yeah cool well I want to make sure that we have time to be able to talk about some of the other stories that that have happened to to and for you um so yeah, the, I, you think guys for, are I think shift. for me.
2: Yeah, I think for you. For yeah. Me. Yeah. No, um, I, w- I would love to rewind to actually and in, in jump into the fourth grade uh, story if you if you guys really want to go there. So indulge us. So I was fourth grade. I don't know why they had a picnic for the end of fourth grade, but they did. And I was there and everybody else in the class was there. We were at Pier Park. It's a uh, it's in North Portland, Oregon. Big pine trees, big Douglas fir trees. I mean, just a beautiful park. um, uh, And I was up to bat. We're playing baseball. There were people playing tetherball when that was legal. Uh, (laughs) You know, they're just doing all the park stuff you do at a picnic. And so I'm up to bat and, you know, I'm going and I I swing and I do one of those, like, I spin the bat flies out of my hand. It lands under a, a big Douglas fir tree and I go to pick up the bat. Well, when I stand up, there is a beehive On top of my head. And we're like, we're talking the yogi bear looking ones, like, you know, that are shaped odd. And so I'm being stung. So I start running. When kids see me coming towards them, they're running for me. I'm doing somersaults and cartwheels and I'm like trying to get these things off me. And finally, I start going towards teachers. Some of them stay, some of them run because they don't want to get stung. And the other ones, they take these big coolers and they dump them on me and they start picking the bees off from all over. And so, you know, I to a doctor, of course, and they're going through picking all the stingers and things like that. And yeah, I had ended up having 53 stings. It could have been more, but that's the ones that they were able to count. But I mean, it was it was all over. Now, uh, I think back to am like, man, if I was allergic to bees, there's no way I would be able to tell the story. You know, so obviously, there's a reason why I, you know, went, I went through it, you know, and I remember as a kid, after it happened, I like, I thought I was like the bee man now, you know, so I would literally let go up, I would just grab a bee and just, it would just like walk on my hand, you know, and it would, they wouldn't sting me. So I literally thought that I had this immunity to bees until I got stung in the eye by a yellow jacket. Like a couple of years later, I was like, well, I guess that wore off, you know, (laughs) but, but yeah, so, you know, going through that was uh, it was it was crazy. My mom getting a call that like, hey, uh, your son kind of got sung by a lot of bees. Can you come take him take him in? So I remember just a lot of uh, Benadryl, you know, stuff all over me on the on the marks. But it was a you know it was a fast healing process. Thank
0: okay, goodness.
3: So first of all, I just love how you set up all your stories. I just want to say you know. that before I forget, like the detail. And I played tetherball the other day, and it was fun. um but that that's like crazy and I just love the optimism in it like I feel like that's a very there's an element to children and a level of resilience that when something like that happens rather than being like oh I have such bad luck or getting down on yourself you're like I'm the motherfucking female <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's <just> like amazing <laughs> like I need to look at my life more like a, a child would in that way
2: Yeah. So, so, so that was, you know, that's another story. So, you know, I, I look at that story. I look at the seventh grade being beat by police. I look at those as two pivotal moments in my life. And I have, I have a third one.
1: We have a favor to ask you. Rachel and I are looking to be able to expand our reach and get the true north collective podcast into some additional ears and introduce it to new people. Our request is that if you like this podcast, if you think someone else would connect with it or enjoy it, help us spread the word by either sending a podcast link episode via text, leaving us a review on wherever you're listening to the True Collective podcast, or even sharing on your social media. Those are all free ways that you can help show support for what we are creating. We would really appreciate your help and let's jump back into the podcast now.
2: And this third one came uh, at 19. I had uh, been working for a sales company in California. Uh, we were super pumped, we were gonna go open an office in New Jersey. And on this route, we were going to stop at different offices around the country, kind of take the scenic route. And so we left from California, we go into, uh, we make a stop in Vegas, visit that office, hang out, we go to Phoenix, we go to Sedona, we go to Salt Lake City, we kind of bounce over to these, you know, cool places. And then we finally kind of make our way on I-80 which goes straight across Wyoming. And I'm not sure if you guys have been through Wyoming, but it is, there's nothing to look at. I mean, I-80 is <laughs> nope. a, a, essentially a death Just trap. It is yep. the most dangerous highway <laughs> it's in the terrifying. country, I think today, right? Yeah. And so it was, about, um, it was about four in the morning. Well, let's rewind a little bit because I think this will set up kind of some, some context of why I feel like I went through this, okay? So me and my buddy Brandaris, I think this was in like Utah, like we were in a parking lot and we were like battling, like, who's going to sit in the cool truck? Like, you know, cause we like, we we had, the, there was a Chevy King cab and our buddy Jeremy, um, Freddie and, and, uh, Kara were in there and me and him were like rock, paper, scissors, like headlocking each other. We're like fighting and I won. I won this battle. Okay. So I want you guys to know I won the battle. I'm in the truck. Well, we're on, we're on the ride and we're in a caravan. There's like three or four cars. I can't remember the three or four. This is back in, uh, you know, 2000. So this is, this is a while ago. Um, and as we're going, I had fallen asleep. I'm in the back seat and I was in a Chevy King cab. So it has the, the seats in the back that like can face each other. So I was sitting sideways and I know I didn't have my seatbelt on when I, when I fell asleep. So, um, I wake up to us the truck sliding, and so what happened is our our buddy Jeremy was driving. He fell asleep. When he woke up, he overcorrected. Instead of hitting the brake, he hit the gas. So the truck literally was sliding. I woke up at us sliding it north of seventy, and then the truck just starts flipping and flipping and flipping, and then we end up landing. And so when we land, I got out like. Adrenaline's going. I didn't know what was going on. You know, I get out, Kara and Freddie get out. Jeremy is not in the truck anymore. He got ejected and landed 25 yards on the other side of the freeway. And so we're all looking for him. I'm walking. I, I smell something really weird, but I'm like, maybe it's probably from the truck. And then I actually reached on my right leg and my hand went inside my leg. I had to cut a fist deep, 12 inches long on my right leg. I had to cut eight inches long on my left leg. I had to have. Uh, we were, I was rushed to the hospital. I had to have laser surgery and I had 52 staples and they said, I might not be able to, you know, walk properly again after this, but I got a rehab and stuff like that. Our buddy, Jeremy gets life flighted to Casper. He has, they, they didn't think he was going to make it. I mean, you, you could see part of his skull. I mean, it was bad and craziest part of this story, um, is, well, the craziest part is we both made a full recovery. Like we both, he's got two kids. I've got five, like the story ended well, but. When I woke up, my buddy Brandaris was next to me, and this is the guy that I battled with to be in that truck. He was sitting next to me, and I was in my hospital bed. And I remember opening my eyes and seeing him, and I said, I'm glad it was me. Like, I'm glad I was in the truck because I was thinking, like, when you look at the truck, Rachel and Janelle, the area that I was sitting in, when I tell you it was compacted like a tuna can – if he would have been in there, maybe he would have had a seatbelt on. Maybe he wouldn't have made it. So I think back to that. I'm like, that's why I was put through that is so I could come through it on the other side. And there was a girl that I met. We had, I had a shared room. There was a girl that I met that half of her dang head was, they had to cut it out because she had a traumatic accident. And I remember like feeling sorry for myself. I was pumped up on morphine and it, that stuff really jacked me up and they had to give me something else because I was, hallucinating, I think. And I thought the nurses were out to get me. And I remember meeting this girl and, and seeing how this accident impacted her. And she had the biggest smile on her face. And she said, it's okay. You can still smile. You know? And I, I just was like, holy crap, like, there's no way I can feel sorry for myself, you know, like, I'm gonna fight the, you know, it just gave me the courage. And so I went from like, you know, wilt Walker to, you know, strengthening up to crutches. And, and then I, within six months, I made a full recovery. Like, I mean, I, I was breakdancing after that. accident. I mean, it's just, it's crazy what happened, you know, but that was really, for me, Pivotal moment uh, number three that I've experienced in my life. And the interesting thing uh, in my head, I still don't, the fourth grade bee stings, the seventh grade being beat up by police, and the accident, I still don't feel like I've faced the same adversity as my mom faced. Right. So that's how I look through. Uh, the lens of optimism in my life because I I look at her situation like I shouldn't even be here she shouldn't even be here like vic- my grandmother's a victim of rape and she was born with one lung and then she's not supposed to have kids not supposed to live and she survives and so I'm like my stuff is trivial compared to that you know so so that's actually how I think I've been able to uh, carry that lens of optimism in my life is because I always look at what she went through and how she survived for 54 years, you know? And I, I, I just look at that. I'm like, there's no way I can complain about anything, you know?
0: I mean, what a gift for a parent to know that the way that she actually was not the facade she may have been trying to create the person that she actually was is the thing that gave you the strength to have the optimism and to get through the things like, damn.
2: Yeah. We haven't even talked about my, my biological dad's side of the story. So if we have a couple minutes, I can talk to you kind of about meeting meeting him, you know, I, yeah. So, so I, I didn't meet my dad till I was 12. Right. And um, so my stepdad is Palawan. Um, My older brother's dad is African-American and my dad's Filipino. So she definitely, um, you know, she had a, a type of, uh, a person that she wanted to be with. She, she liked um, people from all different walks of life. And that's just kind of how she always was. And, you know, I mean, think, think about this ladies, like, think about this context. This is the eighties. You're a white lady with blonde hair and green eyes. And you're walking around with all these uh, kids looking like you're like a babysitter, probably right. to like the outside world. And so I even think about that, like, how did she make it, how did she, you know, go through that with probably all the, the, talking and and whatever that people were probably were saying back then you know um because as we know in the 80s and 90s i mean there's a lot of stuff that was that was going on in the world so um one i think it was around the holidays um i would gotten you know my dad started sending me stuff like cards and like nintendo like dr mario i got like nintendo games this is this was in uh, i must have been in sixth grade i guess and and my, and so my mom was like, Hey, um, your dad reached out and he said, Hey, would you want to meet him? And I was like, I mean, yeah, I definitely would like to meet him. You know, I'm like thinking like, why is it taking so long? 12, you know, like 12 years old. And so, um, you know, she set it up and I was going to go spend the summer out in DC. Like he had, he had, uh, um, uh, so he's from the Philippines originally. He, um, grew up in the rice paddies and, you know, worked worked all in the rice fields and, then went in the Philippine army and then was a a seaman and he painted ships and traveled all over the world. And he decided one day that he wanted to, uh, you know, come to the United States for the American dream. So, you know, he jumped ship came to the United States and ended up working for a landscaping company for a couple of years and uh, decided that, you know what, I think, I think this is something that I can do. And he started his own landscaping business and he's at it for almost 40 years now. So that just kind of tells you like a little bit about his, his work ethic. So going out and meeting him for the first time, uh, it was a culture shock, right? Like I'm flying for the first time at 12, like from Portland to Minneapolis, St. Paul to Washington national. I remember the route, like it was yesterday. And, you know, I get off the plane and there's these strange Asian people you know, that I'm looking at. I'm like, this is my dad, like, this is my stepmom. And, you know, and it was just an interesting experience because for one, I never associated myself with, with that race. Right. My mom like, this is who I grew up with. So it was interesting to me. And, and that was like, I think the first time that I realized that I looked different, you know, they're like, like, Oh, that's kind of, that's guess that's the look I've got. Right. It's, It's part of this because of this, you know, and so I spent that summer with them, and it, and I almost felt bad for my other brothers because like we were poor, we didn't have anything. And now I'm over here. The guy's got a good job; he's making money, taking me to Six Flags. Like you know, and I'm sure part of this is like, let me see if I can make up for half of this twelve years on the first trip. So he comes back. You know, I'm sure there was some of that going on. But like I spent that summer with him, and even to this day, and that was back in 1994. Like we still don't have the best relationship. And and again, it it takes time, right? I I realize that. There's still some resentment there for, you know, him not coming until I was, was that age. But, you know, we have been over the years, been able to build a cool relationship. You know, I've, I've had, like I spoke the opportunity to go to the Philippines a few times and, and meet my family there and see that side of the culture and learn, uh, you know, the languages and things like that. And so that, that has been something that I will always cherish because when you go to a third world country and the first time I went was 16, I stayed there for three months, When you do that, uh, the lens that you look at United States through really changes because although I was poor for half the year in the States, I was in a country that was like real poor and they were so happy. They loved each other. It was all about uh, like enjoying a meal to get like all of the things that, you know, I you take for granted in the United States. It was, that was it. That was, this was their life. And so they, it didn't matter if they had did not have money, they still had each other, you know yeah. so I learned a lot of lessons from you know going over in that experience as well where where were you so i I flew to manila um and so this is this is a crazy trip right like I, I' actually flew from Portland to Seattle Seattle to Osaka I met um a we called her aunt, but she was like a family friend and my stepbrother in Osaka and then from Osaka to manila and then we land we get in Manila and I go outside there's like like 17 people that just start like hugging me. I'm like, who the heck are all these random people, you know? And they've shoved me in this big uh, Jeep. They're called jeepneys. They fit about 20 passengers. And that's like, some of them are like hanging on the side. I'm like, where the heck are we at? And and we go on this journey, eight hours it takes us to get to the province, maybe 80 miles. I mean, like, and when I tell you, when you get out of the city, the city's crazy because traffic's crazy and you know, all that. But when you get out of the city, that's when the real craziness starts cuz there's like chickens and goats and you're playing chicken with other cars and whoever sees is going to pull over first and there's like these like cliff roads you're trying to drive around and so yeah I was happy to make it to the village you know I was just excited to be able to get there but yeah so that was a I mean really cool experience got to hang with my grandma and grandpa before you know they eventually passed away a handful of years later and and so yeah to have those memories and experiences and to see that side of the culture and learn about different foods and different fruits and different creature. You know I mean? All the different things that you get when you uh, travel outside of the United States. So.
0: Yeah. I can relate to what you were saying about going to a country that on the surface, you're like, how can you live like that? You know, how can people, and they are so happy and they just, there's a different level of um, wealth that is there. It's something that um, coming back, I, I went to, a a bunch of places in Egypt last year. Yes. Last year time is so weird right now. Um, And, and that was a conversation that we had. We were there for several weeks and with our, you know, we became really good friends with a lot of people and it was just like, man, you just really appreciate each other and you like sit with each other and like actually Recognize things in facial expressions, and like uh, coming back was really, really hard. Really hard. I went right to Southern California, where my parents live in a gated community, and it was just like, what the fuck. Um, and not that either is better or worse, but yeah, it is a a really good invitation to like just hold on a second. What's actually important here?
2: Yeah.
3: It reminds me too in season one when well, we had Hannah on and Hannah took a year off and traveled really all around the world but she shared a story about shoes and this story comes to my mind actually quite a bit how she was in this you know pretty like a village somewhere like very similar they didn't have a lot and I think it was her boyfriend and I hope I'm not butchering the story but like lost his shoes or needed shoes or something like that or someone took them um, and someone in this you know village and here they are these Americans that, you know, clearly have enough to travel around the world, they're like, Well just take mine. Just like no questions asked and the the gesture of that and the non-attachment of that and the like it'll be okay if I don't have them, you need them right now is something that we don't see as often in our culture.
2: But it's very beautiful in my opinion. Definitely is for sure.
0: So what had I mean, you've clearly experienced a lot like I'm and I'm sure this is just like just the <laughs> the <laughs> biggest what like I'm sure there's just so so much um what what's kind of your takeaway at this point in your life with all of that what, what do you take from it
2: uh, I think what I've been what I've been taking away and this really hasn't happened uh it's really been in the last couple of years but I've just learned the the importance of sharing the importance of telling people about the experiences that I've been through because um, if, especially if, if they haven't experienced anything like that before, they're going to. Like we're going to in life deal with adversity. We're going to deal with things that we think are unprecedented and we had no idea we were going to go through. So I think that that's what I can bring to others. And that's actually the whole reason why I started my podcast, Blaze Your Own Trail podcast, because I, the whole why is I want to inspire others to blaze their own trail. Well, you can't be a a trailblazer if you don't share, if you don't share your journey, right? Because to me, a trailblazer is somebody that went against the odds, like maybe had something happen, but they, they're overcomers. They're, they're people that, that it's okay if, you tell them no because they're looking for that next yes like these so so that's why you guys were on the show because you guys have blazed your own trail with this collective and the community and in your relationship and and all that and so um yeah that's you know that's what i want people to to get away from when they meet me is you know that uh, there there's different lenses you can look at life through and i i always choose the optimistic lens i think to a fault like my wife's like uh, man you're just too optimistic all the time because something bad happens like well the good news is you know i'm always like looking uh f- for from that side of things but um i think i think it's helpful though because i especially you know we're going through a pandemic and unprecedented time in our country and if if i were to look from the other lens i wouldn't be very happy you know it would not be a fun a fun last uh, uh what seven months or so that we've been <laughs> in this situation so
1: Look at that next, yes,
2: I love that quote.
3: Um, Jordan, we ask this at the end of every podcast. How do you live your true north in one word?
2: Authenticity.
3: Yeah. And then if people would like to get a hold of you, if they want to listen to your podcast, if they want to reach out to you for consulting, I don't know if that's on the table, where can they do that?
2: Yeah, so um, my podcast, it's on pretty much every site. So you can just Google blaze your own trail podcast and you'll pick your platform. I don't know where you like to listen. You might be an Android user. You might be an iPhone user. So uh, I made it easy and just put it everywhere. So it doesn't matter. We don't discriminate against phones. So you can listen wherever you find your podcasts. Um, as far as connecting with me, I'm on Instagram at Jordan J Mendoza. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I have maxed out on connections uh, there, but you can follow me or send me a personalized message and, and we can connect um, that way. And then um, uh, yeah i love connecting with people. love uh, meeting new people. If there's any way I can add value to anyone that's heard any of the things that I've talked about, don't hesitate to reach out. I would love to connect and I appreciate you, ladies for giving me the opportunity to share my story today
0: absolutely course thank you thank you for sharing and i There's one thing I just have to like say because I'm like having an aha moment with your like what you have taken from your life is the power in sharing and it's so true. Like, I think getting to a place where, and I'll speak from I, getting to a place where I can share my story in a way that isn't trying to get anything from anyone or prove anything to myself, but just to literally exist as I am. There is there is so much invitation and there is so much for other people. Like hearing you today, it has been it has allowed me to to go oh yeah maybe my story does actually benefit people not because it was me or the story but because i am a human who's able to own it and share it and live in it no matter what it is and so i'm, I'm having kind of a profound moment and i just i'm very appreciative of you and this conversation and Um, the space for me to to
1: have this experience right now so thank you
2: no thank you thank you for having me and Mm -hmm. I'm sure we'll be staying connected
1: this has been another episode of the true north collective podcast for more from Rachel and I check us out on the gram at the true north collective underscore and if you liked what you heard please consider leaving us a review wherever you are listening to this podcast until next time